You're listening to a podcast presented by Providencia West Palm Beach, a church that exists for the flourishing of all people located in the city center of West Palm Beach, Florida. Our hope is to love our city, listen to your story, and practice the grace of God. We hope you enjoy this content. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. Our scripture reading tonight comes from John 20, 11 through 18. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go and said to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Margaret. Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Keith Case, and I'm a pastor here. And if you're visiting with us, just want to uh, welcome you all. Uh, we are in a series this whole year um, called Living Stones, or this fall, called Living Stones. And that's the language that Peter uses in First Peter uh, to describe us in the church, uh, people who are followers of Jesus. He calls us living stones, and he goes on to say that we're a priesthood and that we're being built into this uh, spiritual house. And uh, we as a church have been uh, using the Apostles' Creed, that's why we did it in confession tonight, as a guide to understand the foundation that we as living stones are being built upon, Um, the solid footing, if you will, that we stand upon. Uh, Two weeks ago... Uh, here in church, I preached about the birth of Jesus, so we were celebrating Christmas, and then uh, this past uh, Sunday, Dylan led us to the cross, and it was Good Friday, and today it's Easter Sunday. Uh, We're looking at the resurrection. So in the course of four lines of the Apostles' Creed, we have covered a lot of ground. Uh, It's one of the reasons that I would encourage you uh, to take some time, uh, Google the Apostles' Creed, maybe save it on your phone, a picture, an image, and spend some time with it over this fall. Uh, just reading it and, and, and meditating on it and, and letting it be uh, more than just, I've said before, a static uh, reading, but let it be a dynamic thing. Let it open up for you. Uh, let your mind uh, wander, if you will, about what these things uh, really mean. Um, Tonight our lines are, he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He descended into hell the third day he rose again from the dead. Now I'm not going to cover in great detail that first part, he descended into hell. Uh, It's actually one of the most complex lines in the whole Apostles' Creed and happy to 
talk with you about it anytime, send you resources about it. Um, but um, the essence of it, we are going to brush up against. And so I hope it gives you a little bit um, of a sense of, of where the Apostles' Creed or why the Apostles' Creed has that uh, line in there. Um, but we just see the Apostles' Creed as something that's really packed full um, of a lot of great stuff. And I, I just want to mention this resource to you. I'm going to mention another one in a second. Uh, for adults and for teenagers, this is a book that I'm, I'm using and uh, I got it for my kids and we got it for other youth kids. But for adults as well, as you're reading the Apostles' Creed, it gives you like three pages on phrases, like the word suffering, uh, that, or that Jesus suffered. That word suffered, there's like three pages on just suffering and writing about what does it mean that Jesus suffered. So it's an awesome book by a guy named Ben Myers. He also did the other book I'm going to mention here in a second. But uh, tonight we are sitting here as uh, we go to the tomb, if you will, and we are staring down death. Uh, we are staring down, if you will, the gates of hell uh, between us and the lifeless body of Jesus there was a stone uh, but that stone has been rolled away and now we are staring into an empty tomb uh, we are staring into the place where uh, the dead go at this time in, in in history they go into this tomb and it is in many ways an abyss for us tonight as we stare in uh, to that tomb. If you've ever lost a loved one before, um, which I'm assuming most of you have, a friend, a family member, um, a family member, a, a mother, a father, a grandmother, a grandfather, maybe a child, that you have stared into that abyss of loss, uh, that abyss of grief that feels like it has no end like a bottomless pit. Definitely experienced it myself. I want to read to us uh, from this kid's version of the Apostles' Creed, which is honestly just as good <laughs> as the adult one and just as powerful. Um, on the section where it talks about he descended into hell. And I have as my marker a parking uh, envelope for my ticket that I recently got on Palm Beach. They are ticketing a lot these days, guys. So just protect yourselves. Um, this is what uh, Ben summarizes that, that phrase, he descended into hell. He, he says it this way. Where will I go when I die? Where do all the dead go? Wherever it is, Jesus went there too. He went down as far as we had fallen. He went down as far as we had fallen. And I would say he goes down as far as we fall when it comes to grief, when it comes to looking into that abyss. Uh, of death, of loss, uh, of grief. Uh, you know, as we come into verse 11, as Margaret read for us, we, we meet this woman, Mary Magdalene. Now, I want to say just a few things about Mary because she is there alone. I just want us to see her 
alone, if you will. If you've ever been to a, a wedding that I've done, I do like a fun fact section before the couple gets married. This is the fun fact section on Mary Magdalene, okay? Uh, Mary Magdalene is mentioned in the uh, Gospels more than most apostles, most of the other apostles. Uh, she, her name, Mary Magdalene, is mentioned more. Um, she's mentioned more than any other woman except for uh, Jesus' family members, Mary, that, the other Mary. Um, she was uh, a woman who was delivered from evil oppression, evil spirits. In the ancient Near Eastern world, that typically meant that there was a health issue or some kind of psychological illness that was going on, but that she's been healed. Uh, she's been delivered. That uh, Jesus has brought healing in her life, and now she is a follower. She is committed uh, to following Jesus. She is also a, a successful woman financially. She is a big supporter financially of Jesus' ministry. There was a pope who uh, popularized the idea in one of his sermons, and it kind of took off that she was a harlot or a woman of the night. Not true. I mean, that could be a cool story as well, but that's just not who she is. Uh, she is a woman of wealth, of means, and she is a significant figure in, in her city and in uh, her community. She is there at the crucifixion. She is present at the burial. She is the first witness to the empty tomb, and she is known uh, in our faith as the apostle to the apostles because she goes and declares the resurrection of Jesus. She is the first one to do so. Great significance in the life and faith of uh, the Christian church. Mary Magdalene. And this is the woman that is there. Now, I say all that because I want you to know this is a woman who can stand on her own two feet. This is a woman of means. This is a woman of presence. Uh, this is a woman who has been places with Jesus. And she is there, and it's her who is weeping. Uh, in the Greek, that word to weep means like you cannot contain it. I don't know when the last time you wept like that. But you cannot contain it. It rushes over you, and it's coming out. And she is there uh, weeping. Weeping and feeling the incredible loss and the thief that death is and the abyss that it leaves us with. And then in verse 12, Mary does something. She moves down into the room of death, into the tomb. She steps deeper into it. And she is greeted there by surprise, life, the two angels. And they have a question for her. Mary, what is the source of your grief? What is the source of your pain? And she says to them, someone has lifted up the body of my Lord. Someone has raised his body up and taken it somewhere else and laid it back down. And Mary saying, I just want to find it. I just want to find my Lord. I want to find the man that I have been following, the man who I've seen touch so many lives, the man in whom my hope was growing for our society, our world, our neighborhood. Please let me find this man. Now, as many of you know, I read the text at the beginning of the week on Tuesday and then it kind of marinates throughout the week. And so anything I'm watching or interacting with you, this is like setting the background for my thinking, my conversations, right? So I ended up watching the film 13 Lives. I don't know if you've seen it, 
but it's about the uh, boys' soccer team from Thailand called the Wild Boars, who on June 23rd in 2018, after practice, 12 of them with their coach went into a cave nearby, a cave that people would go to. Uh, the problem is that uh, monsoon season came one month early. And because it came, the rain started flooding and it filled up uh, portions of the cave and trapped them deep inside the cave. Um, they had some flashlights with them, but for the most part, they were in the dark. They had no food. It took uh, two weeks for contact to be made for the first time with these young boys. Two weeks of sitting in darkness. Two weeks of being in this cave alone uh, with their coach. Two weeks. Um, it would be more days and more weeks until the boys were finally rescued, which is a crazy story of in itself. But the point that stuck out to me as I watched the film was when one of the dads came to the rescuers before they made contact. And he said to the rescuer, no matter whether my son is alive or dead, please bring me his body. Just please bring me his body. And I want you just for a second to think about the significance of that request. Um, you know, as we watch the news sometimes, one of the things you'll see if there's, there's been a murder or, or something has happened to somebody, somebody's gone missing, is that over time, as time goes on, there's this search for what? There's this search for the body. And maybe, you know, it's for clues so that they can solve the case and things like that, but one of the big issues is that families are looking for closure. And if they can just see the body, incredibly significant uh, in our faith, that longing to see and touch the body. Mary is there. She's at the tomb. She has actually gone into uh, the tomb. And, and Jesus is behind her, possibly outside of the tomb. And again, he gives her this question. In her grieving, tell me about your tears. Tell me about your pain. Who have you lost? And she, not recognizing that it is Jesus, she thinks he is a gardener, says, did you take his body? Please tell me where and I will go and get his body. I know I am alone. I know I am falling apart here. I know that... Um, I am in the midst of my pain and suffering. I need something to hold on to. I need something to stabilize me, something to slow the fall of this grief. Slow the fall into the abyss. And it's in the midst of that fall that Jesus calls her by name in the tomb. And this is when she knows for the first time that it is Jesus. In the midst of her grief, he says, Mary. And just as she could not hold the tears back, she could not hold back the exclamation, Rabboni, teacher, teacher, it is you. Jesus is here, even in death, even in the free fall. The loss of control. 
that move into vulnerability that grief calls us into. And at the bottom of the abyss of grief, we find the cornerstone, the foundation calling us by name, validating for us that this is not the way life was supposed to be. This is not how it was always, this is not how it will always be. The longing of your heart for death to end, for life to go on forever, for relationships not to end, for relationships to actually grow in love and grow in memories, that this is beautiful and right, that this is the word of our Lord to Mary. In hurricane season a few years ago, um, Poor Jordan, who is now in Thailand um, with uh, Matty, they went to a little church this morning. They wanted me to let you guys know, um, and they're settling in. The kittens have a nice view now. They went from behind Target here on uh, Palm Beach Lakes to now living in uh, like a 19-story building in the center of Bangkok, Thailand, with an incredible view of the city. Um, but they are there, and... Um, a few years ago, though, I think it was Hurricane uh, Irma, was that the one? That we woke up one morning, and it was like coming right for our house. Like, I think the, the, the center of the cone was like literally across our street in our house. And so I told Amy, like, it's time to pack the van. We're, we're getting out of here. And uh, we threw Jordan in our car, too. So we have an eight-passenger van. Uh, we have seven people in our family. So Jordan, it was eight, full van. Um, and we took off. And we're driving on 95, and the outer bands are coming through. And I'm like, oh, man, we waited too long. I can't see. The rain is so intense. The car is getting blown, like, sideways on the interstate. Nobody else is on the road. Finally, we make it through drive through the night, um, get to Chattanooga, to Signal Mountain, uh, Tennessee, pull into the driveway, get out of the car. And one of my good friends called me, a guy named Tommy Castleberry. And Tommy had called because another one of our good friends, one of my best friends growing up, um, had passed away that night. And Tommy called me and said, Josh, Josh is dead, Keith. Um, he died last night. And I remember standing there in the driveway, um, Jordan was standing next to me, and it was like the uh, ground went out from underneath me. Um, it, I, I remember feeling like I was free falling. And I began to, to weep there in the driveway, and I began to cry, and the memories began flooding. And there was a part of me that was in denial, like, this, is this real, is this true? And over the next days, and weeks, you know, it's funny in death that you actually experience these reunions as you go to funerals and, and gatherings and stories. And you tell these stories about your friends. And in the midst of all of that, uh, there's this invitation that kept happening for me uh, from my friends, friends like Jordan. Uh, they kept inviting me to remember uh, my friend. They kept inviting me to let myself uh, feel the pain, uh, to, to, to let it out, if you will. And there, there is something that I think is 
maybe pretty unique to our faith. Uh, where, where in certain circles you might hear like, you know, uh, that's just life and, and don't, don't think about it too much and you just got to keep going with your life. That we actually have this faith that invites us into grief. And I remember the, the first time I really allowed myself to grieve in a, in a counseling session. And I remember feeling the wave of emotion and the wave of pain rising up and trying to control it and being there like on this cliff, if you will. And it was this decision of, am I going to let myself feel this fully? And I think there was a part of me that was really scared. That if I really let myself feel this, I was going to be out of control. And one of the invitations that I believe that God gives us is to let go of thinking that we are in control. You know, when you, when you think about uh, kind of the life that is uh, predictable uh, and two general paths, one is conformity. And maybe you grew up in a family where you were the conformist and you kind of played by the rules and you tried to make mom and dad happy and you did all that. Or maybe you were a rebel. That's kind of like the other path. You know, you were like, oh, forget these people. I'm doing my own thing. I'm going to party, you know, go have my fun. But if you take those two poles, there's this third option called vulnerability. It's called open hands. It's called an open heart. It's an incredible risk. When I took the risk to finally grieve, when I literally felt like I jumped off that cliff, and I felt like I was free-falling in the midst of my emotion and my grieving. That sense of completely letting go of control. I actually discovered that there was a God who holds me. That all the stuff that I maybe say I believed, uh, you know, uh, creeds that I professed, that actually in the midst of the free fall that there is a God even there who holds us and who is with us. It was embodied for me with the therapist who was there across from me, who didn't leave the room, who stayed there with me. It was embodied by that sense of actually feeling like I hit the ground at some point. Like the pain came, the wave came. But I was still alive. It didn't kill me. And as I see uh, this interaction with uh, Jesus and Mary, at first it was so disturbing to me. Jesus is like, don't cling to me, Mary. Don't hold on to me. Don't hold on to me. Open your hands, Mary. Keep your heart open. I know you want to cling. Cling to this moment. Cling to me. But open your hands. Open your heart. Now, the way that this sermon impacts me right now, today, in this past week, is that um, saying goodbye to a friend for eight years, Jordan Smith, as a pastor, it's a long time for me of spending time with somebody. Eight years, Jordan really, truly became a friend of mine. And to say goodbye is not easy. I have felt the free fall, if you will, this past week, like literally in my body. But what this invitation that I have felt through our text tonight and through this creed is Jesus inviting me 
to open my hands, to open my heart. And I love how this little section closes that Jesus says to Mary Magdalene, Mary, I'm going to my father. I'm going to our, your father too, our father. He makes this greater, uh, intimate, more dynamic connection for Mary, maybe than he's ever made before. That something has happened in the tomb, that something has happened uh, through this death, that something has happened through this grieving, that Mary is there with Jesus and Jesus is making this connection for her. Mary, there is a bigger family now that you are connected to. There is a greater reality now that you are connected to. Open your hands. Open your hearts. And for me, that's that invitation to open my hands and hearts to new friendships, to new relationships, to dare to risk, to continue to follow Jesus and follow this way that he has called us to as his people, to be people that embrace the stranger. God may have new friends for us here even tonight. Let us pray. Thanks for joining us for this episode. The work we do is made possible by your partnership and generosity. If you enjoyed the content and would like to support our work, please visit ProvidenciaWPB.org and click on the Give link. The music you hear in the beginning and end of our show was written, produced, and recorded by our music collective, Paradise Hymns. Find their original songs wherever you stream music. Thanks again, and have a blessed day.